my name is Michael Bertov. I am a serial founder and CEO. I've had four startups. Uh, two of them have been venture backed. Um, I do a lot of stuff in the um, in the crowdfunding space. I've raised millions through various types of crowdfunding. So I'm a huge fan of that mechanism for uh, startups funding themselves. I advise and mentor startups uh, mostly as a hobby. Um, and then I'm also I also sit with Mark on the uh, on the uh, on the I guess the executive committees of the MIT Enterprise Forum. Um, and we do a lot of programming for innovation. But I've been doing this um, either helping startups or doing my own startups or both, both uh, really for the last 15 years or so. The team's in Boston. I recently went down to Miami, uh, but yeah, the team is in Boston. Uh, we're born and bred in Boston, in Cambridge specifically. You know us Cambridge folks, we're, we're a very different crowd. So, but anyway, what does GeoOrbital do? It's, it's uh, self-powered wheels or electric wheels. But how do they work? What do they do? As I recall, they're a wheel you can put on your bike and it's like having an electric bike. Well, apparently since you didn't invest, it doesn't do enough, huh? If you were part of that angel well, group. Let's Interesting. Talk about I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, that question comes five years too late, sir. So it's, a, it's an all-in-one electric wheel. But you, but you lost your chance. No, that's it. That's it. That's how it works. No, it's a it's an all-in-one electric wheel. So it has a mat. Uh, I'm sorry, a battery and a motor inside of the wheel. Yep. Uh, so you attach it to any vehicle that's manually powered, and that vehicle becomes electric. Whether that vehicle is a bicycle, you can make it into electric bicycle, uh, or a wheelchair, you make it into electric wheelchair. We have four-wheel prototypes. We have three-wheel prototypes. So it's it's pretty much a platform to electrify anything that uses wheels. So I guess to put it in a nutshell. Proprietary patented type of thing. Can you retrofit it on an existing bike, or did you, or do you have to buy a special purpose hub? See, he did. Not only did he not invest, but he didn't pay attention in the pitch. Yeah, I'm, I'm beginning to question if he was actually there or not, or if, yeah. No, no, actually, I, I read Len's notes, <laughs> <laughs> which apparently weren't detailed either. Yeah. No. Uh, no, no. I guess I guess the other way to look at this is I have a, a more than a vague memory of the meeting, um, but our one listener, if I just dove straight into it, our one listener would be very confused. So I'm playing. You remember Columbo? Remember yeah. Columbo? Yeah. I remember Columbo. Yeah. This is my Columbo invitation. Yeah, tra translate that for the kids. Columbo was a detective sitcom in the 70s. 70s, 70s, yeah. 70s? Question was, mark? Was, yeah. You know what he? You know the more modern version of that? Um, shoot, as he started, um, he was in Wings too. I forgot the guy's name, but um, so there was a more. No, 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 no. There was a more modern version of that kind of airheaded detective type of persona. Well, I, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's a yeah. So in my mind, it's just a convenient way to he knew he sort of knew the answers, but he would pretend to stumble in them, of course, stumble into them. And probably three or four shows in, he began to realize it was all just a shtick. And so uh, these questions are just a way to help our one our one listener come up to speed. So well, that's that 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 makes sense to me. Thank you for well, connecting with me on that. Well, the otherwise, the alternative is to do what uh, Mr. Thurman here does all the time, which we call Bark. Hashtag panelizing. Hashtag panelizing. So panelizing is where you bring I, the I made, made it into a hashtag. Yeah, you, uh, we're, you, um, we're, So I'll do what you do, David. I'm going to, A, talk over you, and B, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to. Oh, Katja. Katja is going to be pissed. 
our she may be our, our half well if we have a one and a half listeners katya you know what katya is of course, right. he is. Of course i don't know if listeners work in fractionals well, she listens occasionally, so probably she's one. She's one, our one thirtieth of a listener. She's listened to maybe two episodes out of our sixty. Oh, she's listened, and she listens to more than you think. And she I, complains. Well, she, she complains. provides balanced feedback. Well, she's listening now. This is a shout out to Koch the complainer. Yeah. Uh, with two Ks. Um, so anyway, were I a panelizer to steal one of David's shticks, uh, I would say something to the effect of. Mike um, has uh, something he, in common with our prior uh, victim in podcast number 62, Jenny Nigrosh from The Green oh, Garmento, in that, uh, like her, Mike was on hashtag Shark Tank. And I should add more emphasis if you add the word hashtag to it. I just want to throw it in there. Also the video here? David. Oh, oh, it connects us to like a younger audience. I get it. I get yeah. it. I, look, I LOL. Yeah. Yeah. R O F L. Um, I'll send them a TikTok. But yeah, so you were on Shark Tank. How was that? Sure. And how long ago was it? It was good. Uh, it was uh, we aired in 2016, um, I think, and then we shot like a year before that. Oh, uh, I forget, yeah. and I did watch it, but did you get the money? We didn't get the money. No, no, they didn't well, like what us. Was it like? Mark keeps- it was an ongoing theme, I guess, even with the host of this podcast. Well, I feel at home here. Let's go back. Mark is like, this is the problem with panelizing, because you feel like you're walking in the middle of a conversation. You've lost most of it. So let's go back um, and tell us about this wheel. Is it a retrofit wheel or is it a... It's, a it's, so it, it works two ways. So the wheel is a super simple swap in. Um, our commercial version that you would buy uh, is... Just replaces the regular wheel, takes a few seconds. It is a retrofit. Uh, but that being said, you can also design a vehicle platform around the wheel. So you can have custom built vehicles around this as the mobility, as the powertrain. So basically, let's say you want to build a vehicle and you want it to be, let's say, autonomous or something. And you don't want to deal with the powertrain, with the actual things that make it move. Then you would use our georbital platform to do that. So it works both. And question, if I were... If our one listener were to go online to geoorbital.com or something like that, and they had, a, I'm going to say a Schwinn bike because this is the retro 1960s uh, podcast. If they had a Schwinn bike, could they find a suitably sized, what, 26 and three quarters inch um, diameter wheel or whatever size those things are? Um, and just pop it in, or do you need to, would they need to buy a hub and then go to the local bike shop and have a lay, uh, rim rolls down to it? Well, I'll, I'll, I mean, if your one listener is also the type of person who would have a Schwinn bike, I don't think I should be on this podcast. I'm, I just feel super embarrassed. But that being said, but that being said, and that draws this podcast close. <laughs> but yes, in short, let's say something super unfortunate happened to your one listener and they ended up with a Schwinn, they can go and uh, just pop our wheel on it. How about my Brompton? There we go. Yeah. Uh, well, your Brompton is probably too small a wheel, so you probably have tiny little wheels on your Brompton. Uh, that's I, what they're known for. Could I buy the hub? Could I buy a hub and lace on my rim or no? No, no. It's an all-in-one package. It has a tire. Uh, it's just a direct swap. So it, it swaps out the front wheel. So you just take off the front wheel and you put the geoorbital wheel on for, for the bicycle application. Okay. And to continue the cool. question. Let's say Mark were one of those guys that you see at the coffee shop on Sunday morning looking like a sausage and riding his fancy uh, 
bright yellow bicycle, um, you know, the uh, $3,000 bike, could he swap one of your wheels in? Or is then, again, is that not the kind of crowd nor wheel that you can handle, the super racing wheels? So first of all, again, I, I want to thank you for putting that visual in my head of Mark in you- Lycra on riding on a yellow bicycle. Wait, That's wait you wonderful. See the, VR, the VR version of that is stunning. Yeah. <laughs> stunning is probably a good word to describe it. <laughs> But yeah. yes, in, in short, I, we're not really for the Lycra crowd, for the men in tights. Um, I mean, all respect to them. It's a great form of exercise, but uh, they're in it for the exercise. So right. for the bike application, uh, we're in it for, for the commuters, for the recreational riders, for people who don't want to sweat. Uh, oh. But yeah, it would fit on, on Mark's little yellow bike. Sure. Oh, a Cannondale yeah. or something. Oh, that's fancy. I'm not even name dropping fancy bikes. No, excuse me. No, it's not. It's called something else. It's no, it's called something else. It's the from that bike shop, David, near your house from Landry's, whatever they're directed or I don't know, refreshed has some sort of name. Yeah, yeah. I'd have to look at it. Are your bikes, your wheels available on the web or where do I buy them? Yeah, yeah. There We use the internet for things. Oh, I hear it's going to be big. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's kind of a fad, but I mean, it might be something. I don't know. We're hedging our bets. Did you, did you, <laughs> I'll breathe, not breathe this guy. Did you like um, filter this guy for like dryness before we got him on here, Mark? No, I've been dealing with his dryness for uh, however long he's been on the board. Uh, <laughs> but, but actually, he was pretty animated uh, last summer. He was on a, a good panel. You know, we had the uh, Eastern European, the Polish entrepreneurs come in. For oh, the shit. Yes, I remember that. I remember and that. Uh, it was like, you know, two Russian dudes, a, a couple of Polish dudes. He's one of the two Russian dudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was actually a pretty good panel talking about, you know, entrepreneurship and, you know, helping these Eastern European entrepreneurs sort of figure out how to bridge uh, bridge their thing over to uh, to the U.S. So you were actually pretty pretty much on fire during that one, I think. I think everyone else was you. You were not moderating it, I don't think, were you? No, no, no. no. I was just yelling random things during the panel discussion. I think was he spoke this, more than anybody, and it was, was good. Was this during Was no. this during the dinner that I missed? No, was it was this? the day after. Uh, okay, so going back, so you've got this bike wheel for our one listener in Katya. If this is one of her one out of thirty times to listen, um, you've got this bike wheel that is uh, electrifies a bike without the need to have already bought an electrified bike. And then you went down to Shark Tank to um, pitch an investment for that. Yeah. Yep. And did I just cover this about 15 or 20 minutes well, ago? Well, I'm trying to get the, the Well, one your one that. listener is probably passing out and then, you know, coming back too. So we've got to go through this again. Yeah, no, okay. you know, we got to get there because you, because this is the issue of panelizing. It's you got you're making too many assumptions. So you have this company. You go to pitch. So tell us what the pitch was like. Yeah, I mean it was it was good. You stand in front of the sharks and you pitch. Um, and then, I mean, so realistically, I didn't. I listened to your last um, to the last uh, podcast you guys did. Um, there's actually a lot oh. of stuff you're not allowed to talk about about being on Shark Tank. I don't know if you guys know that. So you sign all these non-disclosures, kind of like working with Trump. Like anytime you start talking to him, you need to sign a non-disclosure agreement. So that's, that's kind of what happened. That's what, that's what the women said. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I, I'm kind of in that position right now. So I can tell you this. It was a really it was a good experience. I felt like I was in the middle of a reality TV show. 
Um, it's probably the only, it's definitely the only time I had that feeling, uh, cameras everywhere. I mean, you're in a big sound lot, you know, in California where they do all the big movies and things like that. So, but there's a lot of magic of television that I can't really go into, but it was an awesome, very interesting experience. And honestly, we didn't get funding, but that's probably the best outcome. Um, well, let me ask so, you this. So it would not be a failure as a result. Uh, no. like with Jenny, the, the prior one, her failure was she didn't know her numbers and they didn't trust her. So I'll, t I'll, I'll put it this way, right? So I, I, I know a lot of, I know a lot of other companies have been on Shark Tank and there's, there's, um, there's, a, there's a strategy to being on that show. Basically, and this is public info, so I can share this because Forbes actually did a really big study on it. Uh, about 70% of the deals that you see on screen on that show don't actually happen in real life. Right. Okay. So there, there's a lot of TV magic that goes in there. There's a lot of producers involved with making people seem good, making people seem bad. And again, this is all public info that you can find. So I'm not really disclosing any secrets. The challenge, the biggest challenge, and I know one company particularly hurt by this, uh, is they made a deal on screen. I won't mention names, uh, it, but it didn't go through like most of them don't. But for the remainder of the fundraising uh, that that company ended up doing, they had to explain why the Sharks made a deal on screen, but they didn't go through with it in real life. Oh. So the automatic assumption was, and by the way, these guys also did crowdfunding, uh, equity crowdfunding and traditional like angels and VC. Every single conversation starts with this. Like, what the hell did Mark Cuban see in you that he pulled out of investing in you? Like, what are the secrets that he saw? Oh. Um, and every single time they have to explain, no, it's just TV. Come on, guys, this isn't real. Uh, but anyway, it's it ha it starts the conversation on the wrong foot. And um, by the way, does it, I assume the end the non-disclosure agreement you have with them prevents you from telling the a future potential investor why, for example, Mark Cuban didn't do the deal with you, or can you disclose that? No, you can't disclose anything. Oh, yeah. this is awful. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so yeah so and honestly, look, I actually know companies that have had deals with those guys, um, and they end up going through, and they're just not good people to work with. Like so, a lot of angel groups or follow-on capital, they don't want to work with Mark Cuban's investment company. Uh, they're difficult to work with. They have a reputation. Um, same thing with O'Leary's. Uh, Barbara, actually, from what I hear, Barbara Corcoran is better. Like I've never worked with them professionally. Uh, but just from what I know for the grapevine is like a lot of the follow on investors, they don't want exposure to these, you know, TV personalities. Um, so the, the value of being on Shark Tank is being on Shark Tank. It's right. not it's not what comes after. Interesting. OK, that's interesting. So and the crowdfunding, um, how many crowdfunding sources are there? I mean, I only know of one whose name escapes me right now, but are there a bunch out there? Kickstarter. Yeah, Kickstarter. Yeah, so Kickstarter is probably the most popular one. Uh, it's something called Rewards Crowdfunding. Um, I believe they've so far, so they were founded in 2012, I think. Uh, no, 2006. Uh, since then, they've put about $3 billion into the hands of early stage startups. So which, by, by the way, to put it in perspective, if they were a VC fund yeah. uh, for early stage, they'll be by far the largest VC fund in history. Mm -hmm. um, but they're actually one of the smaller platforms. Um, so GoFundMe, which is charity or nonprofit crowdfunding, um, they don't release their numbers, but they're anywhere from five to 10x larger than Kickstarter. Um, so massive money, um, some very high profile raises there. And the type of crowdfunding that I am most passionate about is something called equity crowdfunding. That's when you sell your stock, your securities. 
to the crowd. And I think that's really the future. And that's, that's what my book is about in large part. Um, oh, did you write a book, Mike? Yes. Yes, I did. I narrated it as well. And I was on this microphone. Is it published yet or no? It is. is it? Yeah. Okay. On the internet. What's the, name? What's the name of the book again? It's called The Evergreen Startup, The Entrepreneur's Playbook for Everything from Venture Capital to Equity Crowdfunding. Are you going to read a paragraph? Are you going to read us a paragraph from it? I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that your listeners are asleep already, so I don't know what the audience for that would be. I think Mark's asleep by now. But you know oh, what I can okay. do? What I can do is I can go on a rant and talk about some of the things that drove me to write that book uh, without quoting directly from it. Look, uh, I might be a little more animated. Rant, it's me. That's what? my role in this stupid podcast is I'm the person that goes on a rant and then David shuts me down and then edits me out. You want to, you want to like, you know, tag team that like you rant, then he shuts you down. Then I take over while you're down it's, and then we can go back and forth looking for. Well, just before you get into it for our one listener, in case they're, <laughs> they stepped up to take a piss. Um, so we're now in the, um, we lost our family rating, but in case they did that and are walking back in the room to snooze again, um, how does, how do you do equity funding? So Kickstarter, as I recall, because I think I bought some uh, um, like uh, shoes, of, uh, what do you call them, flat shoes from it for running. Um, I gave them money and they promised to send me product, which they eventually did. And I gather if they hadn't on Kickstarter, I really couldn't have done anything. Um, but I sort of donated the money and I hope the shoes showed up and they did. So, but they got, I got no equity. I got a pair of shoes. Um, they were fine. Uh, but how do you do equity, crowdfunded equity? The, yeah, do you like put your shares out there and say who wants to bid on these, or what do you do? So yeah, let me let me step back a little. So yeah, you got some flat shoes or something you said, right? So that that yeah. worked out. So what you're doing with um, with rewards crowdfunding uh, like Kickstarter and Indiegogo, those are the two largest platforms. Yeah, is you're pre-ordering products effectively. Yes. Um, right now, yes. the risk you're taking is that you're pre-ordering from an early stage company. So anything can happen to that company. Correct. Now, if that company lies to you about its use of funds or about delivering a product, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, has been known to go after these uh, these sellers, uh, these companies, if they commit fraud. Yeah. So if they don't commit fraud, if they fail just through normal business operations, yes. But that's the risk you're taking for buying from an early stage company. Realistically, you put that down payment on a Tesla uh, and then Tesla goes out of business, you're shit out of luck too. Yeah, you right. can sue, maybe you'll get a few pennies back, but that's always the risk you're taking with a pre-order. So it's not like, it's not like um, Kickstarter has this reputation for being very fraudulent, but it's not. You're just, the, there is normal risk for working with startups. And, you know, as an investor, you know, startups fail. This is what startups do more, more often than not. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's always the case. So let me talk a little bit about what equity crowdfunding is. Um, it's a little bit of a mistake. So equity crowdfunding was, is a congressional thing. So the United States Congress made this happen. It was, it's not a private startup like Kickstarter. Uh, it wasn't invented overnight by some, you know, high-tech entrepreneurs. And I think they kind of did a disservice by calling it crowdfunding, just because that term is loaded with, I ordered this thing on Kickstarter, it never came, that kind of thing. Um, but what equity crowdfunding is, and let me let me take you back to, I guess, the 1930s. So you're a lawyer, right? Uh, during the day, yes. During the day, yes. right. So yeah. I, you can interrupt me here, because I'm not a lawyer, and I don't want to pretend to be one. Well, Mark plays one on TV or on a podcast. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. well, yeah. I, I got the the royal the robe and the wig too. Yeah, I don't know if that still yeah, applies yeah. nowadays. Yeah, that's but, the thing. Yeah, but it applies. Yeah, yeah. But, for Mark, it does. Yeah. So 
All right. So in the 1930s, um, we had kind of an economic issue. Um, and so the government at the time got together and said, let's let people invest in private companies. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of snake oil salesmen, right? But private companies need money. But we also want, we don't want grandma to lose her house, right? We don't want some savvy con man lying to grandma, taking her last dollar, uh, investing it into their company, and then that company failing because that con man lied. Because that was a real issue at the time. So in the 1930s, they passed some laws that got evolved over time. But basically what they ended up doing is they made securities laws saying that in order to invest in private companies, as in companies that don't have to disclose their financials, they don't have to get audited, they don't have to do any of that stuff, private companies like startups. Right. Um, so in order to do that, in order to invest in private companies, you have to be sophisticated. You have to know what you're doing. Mark and they call this an accredited investor. And that's a term I'm sure you know. So everybody in the startup world knows what an accredited investor is. Now, I'll skip what the de technical definition is of income and asset level, but we'll just call them millionaires. Um, most, by, by default, an accredited investor is a millionaire, somebody who is worth over a million bucks. Now, the assumption is that this guy, this millionaire, is sophisticated oh. enough to be able to oh. tell a fraudulent company from a non-fraudulent company, right? right? Makes sense. Good way to protect, good, easy way to measure who should invest, who can get fooled, who can't. This is but, like the, the, the lyric from Fiddler on the Roof, if I, were, if I Were a Rich Man. When you're rich, they think you really know, is the, is the lyric. Exactly. And a Congress probably was a really big fan of that in the uh, 1930s. It wasn't out yet. It was the Securities Act of 1933. Exactly. That's exactly it. Like that? That's exactly it. Nailed that, it. Woo, you nailed it. You must have read my book. <laughs> I, I only read books that, that the authors uh, give me advanced copies of. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, so bottom line. But anyway, so let me, let me get back to it, all right? I'm, I'm just starting. I'm just warming up my rant. You haven't really heard much swearing yet, so I'm going to jump in. It's the so, preamble anyway, of the rant. This, so this seems like it makes sense, right? This is a great way to protect unsophisticated guy from sophisticated swinglers. The problem is that millionaires in this country and a lot of other countries happen to be white, happen to be male, and happen to trend much older. So 85% of millionaires in the United States are 62-year-old white men, right? Just facts. So when Congress got together in the 1930s, what effectively they did is they put funding of innovation, funding of private companies, funding of radical solutions into the hands of 62-year-old white men. Now, that's problematic. So let's fast forward to the 1970s. Um, well, actually, let's fast forward to the 1940s. 1940s, you, ha you have angel investment has been going on forever. You know, private people with money investing into companies has been around for a long time. Right. In the 1940s, an institution, an industry started getting formed around it, actually at a Harvard, right next door to us, right? Um, ARD, the American Research and Development Institute, was funded in 1946, which is the first venture capital fund. Uh, which basically means you take money from angel investors, you pool it, you add some middleman value to it, and then you invest that. So you add a middleman to angel investing, which is what venture capital is. Again, only for accredited investors, only for millionaires. So the judicial, the fiduciary responsibility, as in who you're responsible to as a venture capitalist, is not the startup, who's, by the way, not made up by millionaires. It's the millionaire investors that you have investing in your fund. Right. So- Everything in the innovation ecosystem was centered around representing 
demographically 62-year-old white men. Right. The, the, venture, the investors have a responsibility to this demographic, um, every, and the demographic is the only one even allowed to invest in startups. Let's fast forward again. Let's fast forward this time. I'm going to skip a bunch of stuff. Let's fast forward to 2008. Mm -hmm. 2008, if you guys remember, the world kind of blew up. Um, so funny enough, I was actually working on Wall Street uh, at the time, and I was working in credit derivatives trading. So it was my team that blew the world up. It wasn't, Ooh, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just me. I can't take all the credit. Ooh, please. It was a team yeah. effort, team yeah. effort, all the way team effort. But what Congress ended up doing under the Jobs Act, and they said, guys, this is really fucked up, right? So venture capital as an industry is, is just horrible, right? They, they give these stupid valuations to all these companies that have no assets, they have no revenues. They, we can't trust the valuations they give. It's, it's, it's a sexist industry, it's a racist industry. It needs desperate, desperate reform. And at the same time, guys on Main Street, not Wall Street, can't get access to funds, right? Banks aren't lending, nobody's giving any money. We need to reform this because the money that's designed to go for supporting early stage companies is ridiculously biased and it has been forever. So we as Congress- I'm sorry, let me interrupt you just to, just to make it clear to one listener, I think the rant has begun, but keep going. Yes, yes, yes. No, you heard them swearing. We're in full froth. Right. We're in full froth right now. So, so what's happened in 2008 is the Jobs Act, the Obama administration, and you know, it was a very bipartisan effort, got together and they introduced a series of reforms. And one of those reforms was letting unaccredited investors invest in startups. As in, you don't have to be a millionaire anymore in order to invest in startups. Now, since technology was all the rage, since Kickstarter was massive, since people were aware of it, they called that crowdfunding. Right. That's the name they, and they attached to letting unaccredited investors invest in startups. Right. Now, we'll fast forward to 2016. There was 2008, these laws, these series of laws came into effect after the Jobs Act. They came in effect in tears, make sure that nothing catastrophic happened. In the meantime, and in 2006, the full power of these reforms came into effect. And the first platforms, uh, the SEC and FINRA, which is the, which are the eight government agencies responsible for this, got together and said, we still want to avoid fraud, so we're going to make it happen on a platform, right? We're going to make the software enabled, things like that. We're going to use modern technology. Um, to make sure that fraud doesn't happen. And in 2016, by the way, super recently, uh, it finally became available to regular retail investors. So you can buy startup stock as a regular guy, regular gal, just like you buy public company stock. You buy a share yeah, of Apple, you, you can buy a share Apple. of a startup. Wait a minute, is it done the same way you get onto the dark web? I think Mark knows how to do that, but the rest of us don't. Or is it not dark web stuff? I have a whole separate computer that's just on the dark web. Yes, yeah, this is what I mean. Uh, yeah, this. yeah. <laughs> keep going. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, you you can you can hire assassins and buy drugs. Sure, yeah, if, if that's if that's the thing. Well, where but do you find you, this? What's the site called? Like Mark. Well, so there's there's a lot. There's uh, yeah, they're generally dot coms, although there's others. But there's um the Finra list has a list of about 160 accredited platforms to do this. Again, it's a government thing. The U.S. Congress is responsible for it. Uh, the biggest ones are called WeFunder and Start Engine in the United oh, States. I'm looking um, them up now. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, but yeah, it's it's an amazing opportunity for startups to raise money. So, oh. but just to put it in perspective, like I keep talking about old white dudes being in charge of funding innovation, but this yeah. actually trickles down to the real world. I mean, less than two percent of the startups that VC funds are represented by women or minorities. Less than two percent. 
And this isn't in the 1950s or the 1940s. It's now in 2020. Well, hold on. Less than two percent of the startups that are funded by venture capital are run by women or minorities. I just went now. To, I just went to WeFunder.com while we were yep. talking, and yep. it looks pretty fancy. And it says it seems to suggest I could invest, but what? Um, having watched a bunch of companies pitch to these uh, old white guys um, who are angel investors, I know how that process works, and they typically. We'll do pitches to, well, Mark, I think he said to pitch to 50 or 100 separate uh, investors before he got funding. And I've seen some pitch to many fewer than that. And they may get anywhere from a few hundred thousand to a few million. And this is not not a few million, under a million for angels usually. If they go to venture capitalists, they may get more. But it's a it's a process. It takes, I'll say, months unless you're lucky to raise from a few hundred thousand to maybe a million, million and a half. How does this work? Are they smaller sums of money with, with this being WeFunder? Are they smaller? And I'm looking at it on the screen now. Are they smaller sums of money? Do, they do you make same? it up in volume, as they say? Yeah, what do you do? Yeah. You do. You can make it up in volume. But let me let me put David on the hot seat here for a second. Ooh. All right. You ready? You ready? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to co-host this He's already in the leper Mark. colony. All right. So you're <laughs> an investor. You're an angel investor. I am. I so just... the forget how many your investments you have. The angel groups, who pitches to them? How many of those people are minorities and how many people of those people are women? And how many minorities and women do you as an angel group fund? Well, I don't have statistics. There are a lot more women now than there used to be. There are, I would say, the number of women fund founded, women founded companies is now not 50%, but maybe 30% and the numbers are going up. Um, Every and, year. and black founders or Latinx founders? Um, so I'm going to take you. Um, I'm going to take you off the hot seat because I already know the answer to this question. Well, very few, but not. I mean, probably one in uh, probably one in ten uh, at most. I think yeah, at most yeah. So great. So the reason I bring this up is because I don't think there's a secret that there is a race problem in investment. Oh, yeah. Right, right. This is not, it's not a secret. Everybody knows what. The challenge is, it's not that investors are racist. The challenge is that exactly the process that you're talking about, it's a process. Oh, it's, a process. it's a process to find the companies. It's a process to develop a relationship with the companies. And old white guys have other white guys in their networks. Old white guys just are not exposed to minority-led companies or women-led companies. So it's a network effect. And actually, Harvard Business School did a whole bunch of studies on this. So it's not like the people with the money don't want to promote minority entrepreneurship, is they don't have access to minority entrepreneurs. Okay, so let me interrupt you. So I have a I have an understanding of how groups, um, how startups come to angel groups like the ones that I have seen over the last few years. Um, there are websites like, oh, you know, at, uh, Gust, and I think Gust, G-U-S-T dot mm -hmm. Yep. And I think it had a different name before, but, but doesn't that um, isn't that just a screening tool? That's a, a screening platform that you know, if uh, Angel Group One, Two, or Three says, "Hey, we're interested in 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 this," enter your crap in here, or is it actually marketing out to Angel Groups as well on the back end? I I mean, my perspective, I, I think it's I mean, it probably could be looked at any number of ways. My understanding is that if you're a startup, and I know several have called me and said, "What do I do?" to get in front of groups, for example, you're involved with or others. And I say, oh, it's pretty well known you go to gust.com. And I think there must be several others like that. I'm not sure if there's a fee. I'm guessing there's a $200 fee. But Mike, you may know. 
Uh, there may be a few yeah, I mean, so look, I, I'm, I'm going to, I yes, there's Gus, there's AngelList, there's a bunch of things yes. that you can have a profile as a startup. Yeah, that, that's not, the challenge, it doesn't actually help you raise any money. Like you said, the, the angel investing process is a relationship building process. The, your relationship with that startup is your primary way of doing diligence on that startup. It's your primary way of evaluating whether the founder is investable. I mean, if you... If you talk to angel investors and you talk to venture capitalists or whatever, I think nine times out of 10, they say something along the lines of we invest in people or we invest in teams. That on the jockey. Right. So it's something along those lines. The problem is that statistically, when they say we invest in people and we invest in team, they're talking about we invest in 98% white guys who are working on software. Wait now, minute, hold on, minute, hold on. Minute, I'm not trying to pick on you because you're an investor. You're not, no, I'm not feeling picked on. I don't think this is accurate. At least, it again, is absolutely my perspective, accurate. Well, maybe. It may be. From my perspective, it's uh, so I may have a lily white perspective on this. But the perspective I have is that, and again, do you know, by the way, and I don't, does it cost money for a startup? to list on Gust, do you know or not? I don't know specifically okay. about Gust. Uh, there's okay. other platforms where you can have a profile for free. Oh, the the so advantage you, of Gust and AngelList oh, is yeah. that they, well, specifically AngelList is probably a better fit yeah, for this, is it lets you form what are called syndicates, which is a type of angel groups, also a Jobs Act thing, but anyway. You know, wait a minute, so let me continue. Ahead. My yeah. understanding yeah. is that number one, so when somebody yell, uh, yells out to me, how do I get involved? I say, well, go to gust.com. And that's sort of starting point. It's just a platform by which you're- um, It's like a, yeah, yeah. So it's a standardized that, application yeah. for funding kind of okay, thing. Number sure, one. there's other places to do that, yeah. Okay, it's now a repository for your debt. Now what you probably really ought to do is find people in the group so you're interested. How do you research them? I'm guessing that you as a startup can go in Gust or an AngelList and find out what angel investor groups are around you. Um, and then my understanding, my lily white understanding is that in theory as a good CEO, because CEOs are essentially salesmen and saleswomen, you should then reach out to those um, angel groups and, and however they have, you, you could call for example, one I'm involved with called Boston Harbor Angels, and you would reach out and say, look, I'm on Gust. I'm also interested in um, meeting with you folks. What do I need to do? And the process will include at one point meeting with um, uh, somebody who's involved with the group who will do an initial vetting to make sure this makes any sense at all. Whether Because if you're a startup who's just uh, got an idea but nothing more, the answer you may get, get back is, hey, this sounds like an interesting company, but you're not really ready for this group. Maybe there's a group you are ready for. But at some point, you'll be asked. Wait, hold group, on, hold on. I, I, so I'm going to butt in here. I'm going to butt in here a little bit. Please, so please. I think you're making a few assumptions here. You're making the assumption that a minority founder can approach an angel group and have a fair meeting on level playing field and get the same reception that a white founder can get. And that, that's quite an assumption. But the second assumption that I think, and it's probably the more interesting one, is that you're saying, how do I, I want to, I want to put this delicately, that access to capital is democratic. And that if, if it's not right for one investor, it might be wrong. It might be right for another investor. Let's look at this psychologically. I go to, let's say I, I want to pitch Orbital, my company to you. And yeah. you say to me, you know, it's not for me, but you should talk to my buddy. Yeah. Right. Now, would I, as a startup founder, be likely to take that introduction? I'll tell you absolutely 100% no, 
Because the first question your buddy is going to have to me is like, why didn't he invest if it's such a good investment That's opportunity? Right. Why did he pass? And then he's going to call you and you're going to tell him all the reasons that you didn't invest. And psychologically, you're going to be rooting for me to fail, to validate that you no, have been no, right no, about it the whole time. But that's absolutely. It's thing. basic it's psychology. Crazy, yeah. It that's is absolutely you, basic psychology. So you passed, about- let's forget me. Let's say you passed on Twitter, right? Founder of Twitter came up to you a few years ago at a bar. I actually, it actually happened to a buddy of mine. And, right. and he said, the founder of Twitter said to him, invest, you know, invest like 50 grand in my company is going to be huge. And the guy said, no, no, I'm not going to do it. This is stupid. Microblogging has been around. You're never going to succeed. Right. A little bit down the road, somebody else calls him. It's like, oh, you talked to this guy. Why didn't you, why didn't you invest? And you explain because you want to do your friend a favor. You want to explain why you didn't invest. Right. You want to show that you're an expert, that you know the space. I didn't invest because of this, this and this. And then. When Twitter is taking off, you're going to try to be, you're going to try to salvage what's left of your expertise by making making sure, maybe subconsciously, that Twitter doesn't succeed. Right. Well, so you, you can feel on. right I about your you, decision is, to not invest this, in them. This is Wouldn't you feel experience. much better psychologically by, if by that investment this may, failed? This, I know you're on your rant, and I know this may help you sell your book, but I got to tell you, from my perspective, this is not at all. And I, I don't deny that it happens and it may happen in large circles, but in the little circle that I'm in that I hope is representative, I don't see it happening. So as I understand it, the it's a fairly, I don't call it democratic process, but if you if approach an angel investor who's in a group that's a, a reasonable reputation, what you should find out as you make your initial approach to a bright, reasonably open-minded angel investor is they will say to you, look, our group doesn't do investments in companies that are this early stage, or we don't, as a practical matter, do investments in so social. That's, that's the thesis argument. That's outside of our investment thesis. Right. Yeah, but, but honestly, if it was a good deal and you liked it, you would invest no. in it. Okay. Yeah, there's no so, laws preventing you from continue. investment. We don't do this kind of investment usually, or we very rarely done this. That's just you. the way to say no. You realize that, right? Who there's gives a crap? Whole, I'm entitled to say no. Let me continue. I'm entitled to say no, but I'll usually say to you, you know who does this stuff? Um, women's founded groups often, even when there's a little more risk involved, can get in funding from Golden Seeds. Go talk to Golden Seeds. Now, if someone from Golden Seeds calls me, and I haven't gotten a call from them, but I've gotten a call from other groups I've made referrals to, and I will get that question, oh, why did you, why are you guys passing on this? And I'll usually say it in my email, which is, hey, so-and-so, I sent one of these letters the other day, hey, so-and-so, he's down in North Carolina, nice guy, um, same name as a movie actor, and I said, going to send you down something it's it's in what do you call it cpcd which is consumer products whatever whatever that uh, cpg okay cpg consumer products we tend not to do consumer products but i'm wondering whether you guys in north carolina do it um he seems like a nice guy met him can't tell you much more about his company and that was my intro and i got back an email back saying you know frankly we don't do that either but you know think about you know such and such so there was nothing bizarre going on that and i didn't crap on the guy i had nothing to crap on but to me it doesn't follow the model you've got a model which seems like i'm sure it happens but from what i've seen nobody in the business nobody in the groups i'm hanging out with is there to shit on startups it's more dave I'm, yeah. I'm going to interject. I've also started a company and raised the yeah. one in particular where I was uh, episode one of yeah. this uh, esteemed podcast raised <laughs> a, about $5 million for AirPrint. Um, a lot of what Mike says is true. Uh, you you get sort of two. If you don't get money, you get sort of two reactions. One is the rock moving. Go take the rock to the other side of the room. Let me know how that goes. Come back in three months. 
Right. I call that rock movie. I, not, I Everybody calls it rock movie. I didn't coin the phrase. Or the other one is go talk to Joe at uh, XYZ Capital. Right. Right. Uh, I think they do that. And literally the first question is, Joe uh, sent me, uh, uh, I'm, I'm raising $4 million to do you know this kind of company. How much did he put in? Well, nothing, but he sent me to you. Exactly. I've had that happen to me of the 120 VCs and, sure, and investors that I talked to. Groups, but in my mind, Mark, you may be hitting Joe and Jerry, whoever their names are. Jerry and Joe may follow each other. They may follow each other in terms well, of their investors. Well, of course they like each other. They refer each other. They, That's they, right. They're sending friends to each other for, as a way to say no. But Nobody likes no a confrontation. VC there's included. No, but there's no, yeah. number one, there's no entitlement to money. Number two, True. there's no question that there needs to be some sympathetic connection between the company and the angel investor. And whether that sympathetic connection is an emotional one, which I kind of hope not, but maybe there may be a, hey, we love these products and we're already, for example, uh, there's a, a somebody in town who only invests, I think, in education startups. And you'll, if you're an education startup that every other group will turn down, it's not unlikely that you'll get, you may get an investment there. And that's a sympathetic connection you need. Yeah, but, but I think the inverse is also true. I think if it, just not to explain a negative or define a negative, if my great startup.com uh, is raising 5 million and I've gotten two and a half from investor A, they yeah. will generally say, I want you to talk to my friend over at investor B because he also joins me in things of this nature. So that's sort of the inverse of what Mike's describing, the the rock moving or the, you know, go talk to this guy, it's the form of no. The form of yes is where we like to invest in these things together and you get sent over as a hot referral. I agree, referral. but that's exactly it. But I'm saying what you're essentially there is you've got an informal group. You've got Joe and Jerry, your A and B, tend to follow each each other in terms of investments. Hopefully we're deflecting each other. Okay. That's what Mike It's a very different thing. So what you're talking about, one scenario you're talking about, I think you're conflating into is forming an ad hoc syndicate as in several investors getting together to invest in one deal, which is great. But that referral is I'm going to invest if you invest. Yeah. The, the scenario that you're talking about is I am not going to invest. Why don't you talk to him? I'm saying both of these occur. I'm saying that- Yes, yeah, both of them occur. Options. One is a good one. The other one is a way to say fuck off. I don't. I completely disagree. There are no shortage of calls. Let me let me put the let me let me just psychologically put you in 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 kind of a scenario. Let's say this is actually you know what I'm gonna not, I'm gonna use me as an example. Yeah. So I want to say about ten years ago, uh, maybe a little longer than that ago, somebody came up to me and said, "Why don't you test some Bitcoin for us?" This there was like it was cheap. It was like a few cents a Bitcoin at the time, and I just happen to know some people who were kind of playing in that space. And they're like, why don't you put in a few dollars, get some Bitcoins, play around with this. This might be something. And I right. said, no, no, this is stupid. You can't decentralize finance, whatever, fiat currency all the way. That was 10 years ago. Now I would have had some money if I had done that. Right. Psychologically, to this day, I want Bitcoin to fail. <laughs> because I passed on it and I want to be smart. Okay, Everybody so I, wants to be smart. If okay. you pass on a deal, you psychologically want to be smart. You want that deal to fail. I'm not okay, projecting. So, I'm talking about very basic human. No, no, so let me give you my, my scenario. I saw a company pitch. Um, they just had an exit. I saw a company pitch um, not long ago and I thought it was like four years ago. And I said to myself, I've got to pass on that because I'm uncomfortable. They were pitching, and you've seen this before, not that often. You've seen companies pitch with two products. I'm going to go out with a nutraceutical and a um, therapeutic. 
Um, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, there's barely enough time in the world to get one product out, much less two. Now other people would say that's two shots on goal, but I looked at it and said, I'm gonna pass on this, it's in the life sciences space. There are a bunch of negatives on it, but you know, it's just not for me. I hope he does well. And indeed, I've watched that guy with interest for years because it turned out I liked the jockey. That is, I thought this was a jockey worth investing in, but it turned out not to be a product I was interested in. You turns didn't out like the horse. Well. I didn't like the horse, but I liked the jockey. And I thought, watch this guy over the years, and I'm really happy right. he's succeeded. He's got and that's, company. that's exactly that's the challenge. Really yeah. So, well, okay, so let me, let me, let me, let me kind of get back to why I brought up this tangent about the referrals and all the democratization of capital access. You said it exactly. You don't like the horse, but you like the jockey. You invest in people. Correct. Now, the challenge with investing in people is that you invest in people that you're comfortable with, people statistically that are demographically similar to you. Now, no, the I'm reason not that, not well, into that I don't need to buy into well, that. You I'm don't need to buy into it. I'm just talking about statistics. Hello, David. Just, David uh, you just you went on. Thankfully, you went on mute. I think we're really getting into the rant part, huh? We we're all ranting oh, together it. now. I didn't, yeah. mute, I didn't mute him either, but oh no, that was that was I organic. Can't hear you, David, I think Google just kicked him off, or Microsoft, wherever we're talking. I think the CIC, but, the CIC disease filter like, just kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, I'm but back. actually, you know, I've back. also picked, I've I'm also back. pitched I'm like back. four or five hundred times. By the way, I'm with you. We've we've both done a lot of pitching. Yeah. Yeah, Dave's uh, got bad network okay. at CIC. So. Okay. Uh, yeah, it shouldn't be this. Yeah, different issue, but we all. It's been, it's been um, good thus far. Yeah. Okay. So I don't buy into that. You're. Oh, what I'm cutting you off on is I'm interested in the jockey. I'm interested in the horse. I'm interested in the size of the market. I'm interested mostly in is there somebody in front of me who's pitching, who seems to understand the market, is ready to do pivots because there are invariably a billion pivots. Um, that need to get them there? Do they look like they have the wherewithal? Do I find they're bright enough to move this thing forward from my sense of it? And and I think those are the main characteristics. So, if it's yes. somebody from and a different you, demographic, and the words an of a great, uh, well, no, there, there's, there's, you're not an outlier in thinking that. You're, it's definitely a very common thing to think that we're all objective about our decision-making. There's a lot of literature. Um, actually, one of the advisors for one of my Previous companies, the um, Harvard professor named Mazarin Bernaji wrote a wonderful book that I recommend called Blind Spots. It talks about subconscious biases that we all share. Now, I'm not saying you subscribe to the idea that we all have subconscious biases, uh, but I think it's something worth exploring. So, yes, I would love to say that I am meritocratous and objective in my decision making, but I'm not uh, because I, I think there's there's a lot of underpinning issues at play here. So, yes, you might look at a founder and say, is he capable? Is he she, qualified? She, she, Whatever she. the case might be. The, the fact is that you're already tainted by your experiences and subconscious biases. The reason I bring it up is not, I'm not trying to dump on you. I'm not trying, this is not, no, I'm not, not trying to make I'm it a personal taking, thing. Not, the reason that I'm bringing this yeah. up is because the, the interpersonal investment industry, and I was just saying to Mark, I've also pitched hundreds and hundreds of times to raise money for my companies. I've watched hundreds and hundreds of pitches for other startups. The challenge, the challenge with this interpersonal relationship building is being a prerequisite for fundraising is that all of these biases creep in, whether we want them to or not. Crowdfunding is intrinsically different. And if you recall, like half an hour ago and when we first started going on this tangent, I was trying to explain why it's a different thing. That doesn't factor in, not nearly as much. 
In fact, women tend to actually raise more at higher valuations through equity crowdfunding. Wait, wait, I I, I should have done the Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful. There's got to be a better way. <laughs> but wait, there's more, right? Which is Ron Papil, I think. Exactly. So the, the difference is intrinsically. Angel investing, what you do, is blockbuster. Crowdfunding is Netflix, all right? Crowdfunding is the latest <laughs> modern technology that eliminates all of the minutia of building these and doing okay, these things so you don't want to do. And it actually happens on the internet natively. I, I what I you do is you have meetings and you get to know people over coffee. I think I can put this in perspective and, I, and I'm going to throw this out there because I'm guessing. Um, if I were to reconcile these two views, I would say they're not, we actually might not actually disagree. It looks like angel investing has grown up over time. Um, it sounds like because crowd, what do you, what do you call it? Crowd equity crowdfunding? Crowdfunding. Equity equity crowdfunding. crowdfunding. Okay. Equity I made that term up. You can, you can credit okay. me with that. Yeah, I hope it oh. sticks. Oh, sorry. Hashtag. Um, angel investing has grown <laughs> hashtag. up longer and it has, it, it's a certain ecosystem and it probably has, and I wouldn't deny it, I can't, it was hard to believe it doesn't have some of the ill characteristics you're saying, and I suspect it has many of the very nice characteristics I'm saying, but I do realize that in the end, I see the process as one that in order to make it through the process, you may, there may be a CEO, a founder who has certain characteristics, whether they tend to be predominantly white, whether they tend to be predominantly male, et cetera, et cetera. But the bottom line is if they've made it up all the levels of the ladder to finally reaching out to, uh, whether it's Boston Harbor Angels, Investors Collaborative, um, Golden Seeds, whoever's made it that far through this process probably is within one of these demographics so, that is not as egalitarian as you are driving at. And I, I think that's all wrong and bad. But once you're, however you get there, once you're at that level, um, you don't have to have that demographic to get there. I'm just saying that statistically maybe what's happening. You probably do get what I hope are the referrals I'm saying, and they're probably all reasonable. What you're getting at is, but wait a minute, there's a lot of, there's a lot of startups who don't need to be in that ecosystem to raise money. And it turns out the internet and equity crowdfunding provides that basis. But what it doesn't provide, and I'll make my final comment, is I'm guessing, so I'll throw this out there, you tell me, is one great thing out of angel investing, I think, is that you sometimes get angel investors who can really help you move forward. Um, because they're not just the, putting the in smart a money. Let me ask Mark about this. Mark, what do you think of smart money? Is that a real thing? Does that actually exist? Not anymore. I look. I when I pitched a couple of angel groups, um, I didn't succeed in uh, except for one of them, which I, and I'm not going to name anything. One of the guys liked my pitch, so it was it was an opportunity to network and have exposure. Uh, but with my my largest individual investor came from an angel group, but didn't invest with the angel group. I have seen countless, countless, well, countless. I've seen at least a dozen companies over the years that have run into trouble, probably well more than a dozen, dozens of companies over the years who have gotten free, smart advice, not smart money. To me, smart money is a term that you use to apply to an investor who knows about the biz. Like a, stri me, like a strategic. Right, well, no, I, to me, smart money is somebody who knows about the business. They may or may not help you out, but they know about the business enough so that if um, Bob invests because Bob knows dentistry products, then Larry, Sally, and Curly will invest. That, that's fine. That's smart money. I'm getting at the group of angel investors 
Ooh, let me finish. I'm getting the group of angel investors who may not know your business, but they may know marketing. They may be willing to throw in time for free. They may be able to move you along. They may be good advisors on your board. They may not be, but they may have some excellent advice. And my question to you, Mike, is are there any of those? Do you get that in equity crowdfunding or is it just sort of a, a slam bam? Thank you, ma'am. Here's a ten dollars. Good is, luck. Is it more of a pure so, meritocracy because it's a digital platform? So, and you don't know so the answer is yes and no. The answer is yes and no, and I'll, I'll qualify that a little bit. So what I've seen, I've been doing equity crowdfunding multiple rounds for my company. I've raised 1.5 million, I think, through equity crowdfunding. I'm one of the pioneers in that space. What you see now is angel investors getting sick of angel groups investing through equity crowdfunding. Now, there's a lot of technical advantages to investing through equity crowdfunding, one of them being having liquidity, being able to sell the stock you buy, for example. But that's a little technical. But it's actually much better for an angel investor to invest through equity crowdfunding. Now, that being said, yes, there's people that provide wonderful guidance and advice to aspiring and early stage entrepreneurs that are also angel investors. But there's also plenty of non-angel investors who do that as well. So yes, the basic thesis that you're saying is accurate. You can find good people in the ecosystem or in your personal networks that'll guide you and help you along the way. Yes, they don't have to be investors. So they can be investors. The challenge will, with yeah. investors yeah. is that you're at some point, the interest of the startup and the interest of the investor might diverge. They As might, in, they, I, they often do at the early stage because the the person who invests in you, they want to return. You know, you know how you're an angel investor, right? So you you put in so much money into startups. I'm assuming you've invested uh, money into startups. So there's basically three scenarios, right, where you get any cash back. Let's say you invest 100 bucks in my startup uh, through a regular angel investment, like you do. There's only three scenarios in practice, right? They will ever see any money from me. Scenario number one is you know, I, it's successful and I exit to, and I sell myself somebody else and you get some cash, maybe hopefully some multiple of your investment back. Great. That's a very small percentage of companies actually do that sell to a large company. Uh, or I might go public and then you can sell your stuff on the market, which almost never happens. So let's forget that scenario. Or the most likely scenario is I go out of business and you get a tax write-off, which by the way, happens to most startups. Correct. So at some point, so yeah, let, let me continue a little bit. So at some point, to get any money from me, statistically, the best case scenario for you is to drive me out of business. Oh, my God. Now, don't this take my insane. word for it. Google the term this startup postmortem. And you said you know dozens this of startups that have gotten good advice from investors. I love it. I will point oh you God. to hundreds is, of startups that are killed by their investors. This does hundreds. not match the model that I have well, Are you kidding? There's literally no other mechanism for yes, you to make is. any money back. That's bullshit. I don't need to drive my investments out of business you to make do. money. At some point, there's I even an industry term that you guys use. It's called a zombie. Oh, a zombie is a company yeah. that goes along being profitable and not selling. As I understand it, the zombie term applies to venture capital, which is a, a different segment of the market. I think it's a different segment than angel investors. I understand the venture capital market may indeed have zombie companies that they've invested in and can no longer continue to put more money in. But the companies I've invested in, the groups I'm involved with, what I, and I think they're representative of angel investment groups, is there's going to be no money unless there's an exit. If the exit is a negative one, it's not going to help me at all. It's just a tax write-off. So I'm hoping they're going to succeed in, A, increasing their valuation over the years, 
And in largely as an angel investor, I won't have control. I won't have a large enough vote to do anything. I can try to help them along if somebody calls me up and says, and I'm not sure I'll always do this, but hey, can we get some advice from you? It's like, well, wait a minute, I'm not sure. I'm just an investor, but yeah, let me see if I can help you a little. Early on, I may help them more, but my goal is to see them exit successfully. Well, of course, and of course, that's the them. best case scenario, but that statistically is very rare. That's so your backup plan that's is driving them out of business till you get a tax write-off. That's a different effing issue. It's a different issue if it's rare. So I'm an optimist, and I think most angel investors are optimists. And so the hope is to meet with the company, however they make it up. Sure, everybody invests hoping to exit and make tons of money. But let's say a couple of years goes by, and that startup isn't performing the way you want it to. The The only mechanism structurally that you have to get any cash back it's not through the company being profitable a bankruptcy. or a sale or bankruptcy, and the bankruptcy cannot, is much more likely. I cannot. As an you don't have the power. For, for an, exactly. You don't have the power. No. Yes, and that's exactly what I'm getting at. Now, if you had well, a board seat, if you had it, control of the company, and you had the power, and the entrepreneur was silly enough to give you board representation, you would actively drive that profitable, oh fundamentally God. sound is, company out of no, business is, because no. structurally that's the only way you get any money back out. Okay, it may well be that for a venture capitalist or an angel group, and I don't know of them, who have that much investment and an, an angel group that can act that cooperatively, the angel groups I know are a bunch of people who get together to, to do due diligences together, to listen to pitches together, and to invest individually. So the likelihood you can get all those people, they're like herding cats. The bottom line is they each have money in it. They each may help if they can in a way. They are each rooting for the company, and none of them are in a position to drive the company out of business. Fair enough. Okay, fair enough. Nobody, you don't, angels don't get control of the company most of the time. Yes, most most of, the of the time. time, most of the time. Sometimes they do, sometimes they fool entrepreneurs into giving them board seats and because they're smart money and they well, give all this other seat, advice. The all these side letter agreements that are commonly executed in this yeah. industry. But forget all that, forget all that. But that's exactly what we we're talking about, right? You asked no, if, if yeah. the interest of the, in, you, I said, I made the claim that the interest of the investor diverges from the interest of the startup founder. You said you, it does not, but oh, it seems that we have come to an agreement that it does. Let me be clear. Uh, by the way, I think this podcast is great. At least I hope it's great. Um, <laughs> we'll um, see. We'll see what the hate mail says. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would argue that a lot of the stuff you're saying would be accurate. And it's because I'm not a venture capitalist. But as an angel investor, I understand that many of the comments you're making, uh, which I would apply to venture capitalists who do have this control, whose interests might diverge. It, it may be more acute. Well, but look, but you also, but you don't have to have board representation to have control. If you're a trusted advisor to a startup, which you will position yourself to be, you're smart, you're an advisor, you're an experienced entrepreneur, you will root for that startup to fail. You will advise the founder to move on. And again, and to force the company into bankruptcy. Because again, structurally, it's the only this way is, you get money. Whatever control, even if it's social collateral that you have, you're going to exercise I, that control. I, I've talked to hundreds of angel investors who probably collectively made uh, not hundreds of thousands, but many thousand angel investments. Tens of dollars. I do <laughs> not recall a single one of them ever saying to me, I can't freaking wait till these assholes 
listen to me and let themselves be driven out of business. You know what? I like, can. I have talked out. to angel investors that have said exactly that. Oh, and the God. ones that haven't are thinking it because honestly, think. I'm, let me put myself in your position yeah. as an angel. I yeah. put, Let's say I put in some money into a company. Let's say I put 20 grand into a company, which is yeah. a lot of money for me, right? I yeah. put 20 grand into a company and I'm waiting and 10 years goes by and nothing. They're not exiting and my money is tied up. And I'm like, God damn it. Why don't you guys fail already so I can get a tax write-off? Which, by the way, can be up to 60% of my oh, yeah. I need something. I need something back from you guys. Yeah, I'm happy you're taking good salaries. I'm happy your company is functional. But me, as an investor, as a guy who brought you to that place, I have no money back from this you guys. This may help you sell books. This may help you sell your book. But I got to you. You say you invest for altruistic reasons? You don't actually uh, want to make any return? No, no, no. no. That's, that's, a, that's a ridiculous. Um, then uh, how are you going to make any money from this company that's failing to exit? My view is that and many angels I've talked to have said this. Once we put our money in, we hope we can help out. Some angel investors do try to help out. Some do try to get on board. Yeah, some do try to become advisors. Some do try to become consultants. Many will put their money in and hope the company succeeds. But many of them have a view, and I've talked to a number who've said this, which is, look, once I make that investment, I assume it's lost. I assume it's lost. And then so I'm you are doing it for altruistic reasons. So you're I'm saying to me right now that you're an investor, but you're donating money. No, no, no. Uh, that's not the logical. <laughs> that's what, that's basically what you just said, right? I You're said, doing it because you know I'm you lost it. It's a donation. It's lost, but that if I make enough of these investments over time, it turns out one or two or three will have an exit that's suitably large. That at least I'll come out even. In that case, I've gotten entertainment over the years. You know, it's a lot of a lot of angel investors are in it for entertainment. Some are in it to make a ton of money, but yeah. I think you're trying to make a ton some, of money. Some are in, in, in it to capital. get a job too. Yeah, Summer come on. Job, but but let me let me let me ground that a little bit, right? So let me let me just put put some power dynamics on the table here. So you have these startups, right, that have been busting their ass for years and years, taking no money, living dirt poor, pitching to groups of millionaires like you, and you're investing or not investing because of entertainment. That's what you just said. Oh, now, and it's it. true. And it's true. Oh, yeah, I'm not yeah. blaming you. It's entertaining to look at startups pitch. Keep it's going. like watching Shark Tank in real life. I get it. I like Shark Tank. So you're watching these poor, poor, and I'm not I'm not exaggerating. Startup founders, it's really hard. Like I founded four startups. It's psychologically draining, is depressing. You're piss broke. Every conversation to pitch to your angel group, there was months of planning for me. There was months of meeting with people. I am desperate. So I need some you funding. The, you and do you the guys, table talk. You do this. You do the screen. Exactly, right? So I'm going in there, and you're listening to 100 other companies like me for entertainment. And I go in there, and I'm pitching to you. And I'm like, please, dudes, this is going to be awesome. You're going to be billionaires. You're millionaires now, but you're going to be billionaires because of my idea. Trust me. Support me. And you guys are sitting there thinking, oh, you know what? I don't think this is entertaining enough. Next. Wait, and that's where it goes. Wait, 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 Dave, Dave, this blurb writes You're, itself, yeah. by the way. It does. It's it does. failure. I will argue the following, Mark. <laughs> I feel like if you want to sell a book. Why do you keep coming back to the book? Because I'm I did it. I, I wrote motivation. a book about this topic, but I'm not talking from the book. I'm talking about I, 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 I think you're trying to diminish what I'm saying by referring to it I as am. I am selling a book right now. I, I'm I not. Am. I am sharing my experience through 20 years of entrepreneurship and pitching I to will groups. Argue that you are super, super jaded. 
And that the and that's and that's fine. You're entitled to be. You're super jaded though. But I, at least from my end of it, I don't find the characterizations wildly. I am, I am not the only one, honestly. For oh, your yeah. one listener, your one listener should Google the term "startup postmortem." It basically there's there's a whole series of literature out there from startup founders talking about why they fail, which would be a great topic here. There, there's we're also about uh, failure. What's the other side? And a lot of it is investors. Uh, uh, there, well, there was another site that rated the venture capitalists, you know, the the GPs at VC firms. I can't remember that that one, but it, before you went into a, a a VC pitch, you could read, re, you know, reviews of you know uh, this GP or that GP. Thefunded.com, one yes. of my favorite sites. You know the story behind that site? Oh. oh, I'm happy to share this one. So around, it's actually in my book. If I could pitch the book again, the Evergreen Startup. Do you have a book? I forget. The Entrepreneur's yeah. Playbook for Everything from Venture Capital to Equity Crowdfunding I, I, on Amazon.com. You were going to pitch your book, but he pitched it more than you. <laughs> I think he has. I mean, we talked about my book, March more than I wanted to. Anyway, so The Funded is actually a fascinating case study. Uh, funded. Um, Thefunded.com. There's still up, actually. For your one listener, I recommend you check it out. Um, it hasn't been updated in years because of things I wouldn't yeah, talk well, what about. Is, but, what is it? What so Thefunded.com, it was very interesting. So the year after Yelp came out, which is a review site for local restaurant goods and services um a, a, a serial founder uh in silicon valley was jaded more than i am jaded by raising money from venture capital and angel investors and he started a review site called thefunded.com where entrepreneurs can share their stories of talking with angel investors of pitching to angel investors and do a review so it's like yelp but for venture capitalists and angels yeah so anyway the site blew up Right. Perfect time. The awareness of this industry segment was huge. Everybody was doing reviews at the time. Um, huge need Silicon Valley. This is where everybody is just you know, burning, burning, you know, trying to get to these VC, setting up meetings. The market is overheated. Timing was excellent. Right. So he launches this platform, the funded.com. Again, check it out. I'm not affiliated with it, but it's yeah. really fun reading it because right yeah. it hasn't been updated. But all this stuff is as true today as it was back then. Okay. Within a few months, he started getting cease and desist letters from VCs and angel investors. Within a few months after that, he was getting multiples a day, threatening lawsuits okay. from these business. Imagine if Yelp was getting all these emails from small businesses, stop reviewing us. You're making us look bad by oh. honest reviews on your website. Right. He had to shut it down. Long story short, he couldn't. It, the lawsuits were frivolous, obviously. But the VC have all the money. So obviously they blacklisted him. They accused him of, you know, malfeasance and they kept suing or threatening to sue. And he couldn't defend all the lawsuits. The site went down. That is what innovation is when it's funded by venture capitalists. Good luck fighting that industry, that industry yeah. that controls all of the funding for startups. Good luck trying so, to review it. So can we take this all from a different perspective, which is can we take this from a perspective that um, there's no right? Got to be a better way. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. There's no. <laughs> Have you heard of equity crowdfunding? No, 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 no. And I know we've heard of your book. Um, there's no God-given right to being invested in. There's no God-given right to funding a startup. The old-fashioned days is you started your business on your own. Um, and you grew it, what is called bootstrapping. You bootstrap your own business. Well, hold um, on, hold on. So let's let's define that term for the audience, for your one listener. Bootstrap doesn't actually mean you're poor, right? I mean, you can bootstrap on $5 million. You can bootstrap on millions of your own money. And a, and a minority, hold on, I just want to make this very clear because I think there's a huge misunderstanding in the innovation ecosystem about what the word means. I think most people think it means you're piss broke. 
And it's no, not that at all. Uh, there are companies that have been bootstrapped on hundreds of millions of dollars yes, because their founders are rich. As I understand bootstrapping, it simply means that you luck into or smart enough to figure out something the market is interested in. You are able to put together enough that you find a first customer, whether they buy the completed product, a prototype, whether they buy engineering services, but you bring in money from a customer. It's a non-equity financing, uh, non-dilutive financing. Then you're able to produce your next product or you're actually able to produce the full prototype. And you keep through your own efforts or the rest of your teams, you're able to, and hopefully you've got a source of income while this is all going on, you're able to build your company up the old fashioned way. That's the only God given right if you ask me that anybody has. And that's the right that goes with a good capitalistic society. Well, what does that have to do with, with It has a lot about. to do with this because it turns out that if we assume, and I don't know the numbers, but if we assume that 90% of businesses or 95% of businesses, and this statistic you should know, I don't, but I'm assuming 95, maybe 99% of businesses are bootstrapped. When you take into account pizza parlors, cleaning okay. agencies and all that. And it turns out you've got no God-given right to being invested. It's not, we're not talking about God-given rights to anything. We're talking about the difference between equality and equity. If if I say equality and equity, I think a lot of people think it's the same thing. Equality means, let's say everybody everybody gets a ladder, right? So they can see, so they can see at the same level, so they can stay at the same height. Well, some people are born in a ditch. Some people are born far below where their neighbor is born. In equality, they would get the same height ladder as their neighbor that's born on a hill. Wait a minute. Let me let me let me. Let me equity is they get a ladder that gets them to the same point. Can you answer my, do you happen to know statistics when you look at the United States economy or the United States and European economies um, over some reasonable period of time, let's say the last 50, uh, not 50, let's say the last 30 years, how many businesses, all businesses take into account, how many businesses are bootstrapped, i.e. financed without investment? Is it 99%? The vast majority, yeah. Okay. So it's a very high number. So if you ask me, the only time investment makes any sense at all is if there's a coming together of the investors and the entrepreneurs. And then the 1%, let's assume 99% of businesses can't, don't know that they could be invested in or aren't suitable for investment or don't look for investment and they grow up in the normal course of their bootstrap. There's 1% of the businesses which at some point in their experience or in their business lives or their entrepreneurial lives, there's one point at which, or several points, in which it would be suitable to take an investment. And I think we're talking about that really small percentage of businesses that not are, don't have a God-given right to investment, but who may be simpatico with a, a funding source. And the challenge is finding that freaking source. And I'll argue there's nothing wrong with that. The challenge, I would argue, is not finding the source. The challenge is that the source is demographically radically different than you are. So if you're a minority founder, the but only I, source of that capital will not invest in you. Oh, thankfully so, his voice dropped out, out again. again. You're cutting out again. We lost. Which is okay because we're 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 really uh, this is this is one of the lengthier podcasts, and I we may break this into two parts. I don't know about no, the editor. Well, it's well, all the ranting. I no, look. I, no, I, I guess let, let the ranting go. I think it's great. My point is that I like how I, I'm like I feel I actually feel like a co-host right now. I, I, you know, if anything, I think David is more on the line here. Tell us about your startup, you wish, David. You wish, you wish. Um, no, <laughs> I think that 
I think that there you is can't a, handle the truth. Oh, sorry. No, I think that there's a there's a place in the world for venture capital. There's a place in the work for, world for corporate venture capital, which is more um, strategic partners who may invest. There's a place in the world for equity crowdfunding. There's a place in the world of angel investors. All these things, I think, can coexist. It may be convenient for sales of your book to rant about angel investors, and you may have bad experiences. Again, I I appreciate you plugging my book. I really do. It it would be great if every time you were trying to refer to my book, if you could say the title and maybe a link. Can we get from you a link to give our guests a 30% discount on the book? I, actually, uh, I don't know how that works on Amazon, but I'll I'll, I'll try to work out whatever I can. I mean, yeah, the, the last Shark Tank, the last Shark Tank contestant offered us, uh, yeah. offered our listener uh, a discount on her garment bag. Yeah. Oh wow! I got high competition now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I gotta I gotta I gotta give this some thought. I got I want to blow that that lady out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> but but look so, okay yeah, so uh, look I, I get it I get uh, you're saying yeah. your your industry is great it it's it's the reason that innovation happens sure there's we're, truth to we're that we're angels we are angels you're angels that's right you're flying in the sky and the clouds and Jesus loves you and God bless <laughs> fine well, I'm happy I will play along our, uh, our I will show up with Jesus. you know honorary wings for everybody next time I pitch to an angel group um you know but look. So yes, you're right. There is. I'm not. I don't have anything. Believe it or not, I don't have anything about angels. I have the 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 challenge that I have is when angels get together in groups, and they're basically act like VCD. Now I know you're going to say no, an angel group is an intrinsically different thing, but it's not. A lot of angel groups pool all their resources together and they make team decisions. Team decisions yeah. tend to be very bad. They tend to be much less predictive. There's a lot of literature. I'm not going to, yep. you know, I'm going to go into this. As an individual investor and an angel who happens to be a millionaire or what, which is the definition of an angel investor, if that millionaire wants to invest directly in a startup, a lot of them will invest through equity crowdfunding as well. Equity yeah, crowdfunding drives them. So, yes, I, in a way, that's I do agree great. with you. There it's is room tent. in the it's ecosystem a- for everyone. There's a there, big tent out there. Yes. yes, but I don't agree that when you say that 99% of startups are not funded by capital by angels or VC, which is true, they're not. Yeah, about less than 1% ever get that kind of access uh, to capital. You're saying is because they're not investable. No. I am saying is because they're not invested in. No, 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 no. I'm not saying they're not investable. I was simply saying, for whatever reason, most businesses have historically been bootstrapped from the very first profession, whatever that. Well, that's what. That's not true. No, I, that, I, I, I actually, I, I, if you look at the largest companies that we have in our economy now, the vast majority would have been venture-backed startups within the last 50 years. That doesn't. That does not to say that they're not part of the one percent. I'm saying that most companies historically going back to the beginning. Yeah, but you're saying you're saying well, it has to be some metric of success, right? There's a lot of companies that go out of business within a few months too. Metrics of success. Uh, if you look at all of the successful companies, they are venture backed or they took on external. Companies. No, I don't think that's true at all. Name Completely one. Completely disagree. Um, there was a pizza shop when I went to college here that must have been around probably for 30 years called, I think, Nick's Pizza. I'll argue that was a very, very successful business for Nick. Okay. Well, I think we're defining it differently. I'm talking about like the NASDAQ. You're talking about pizza shop. Why do we, well, wait a minute. I'm, 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 if you're going to widen this to include equity crowdfunding, I'm going to invite it and include, which I'm guessing that equity crowdfunding allows investment. So, oh, well, okay. Well, I mean, I don't know. Your one audience member can probably weigh in on it, right? So if I say successful company, what does the mind go to? Does it go to Microsoft? Or does it go to Nick's Pizza Shop on the corner? 
Well, I got to tell you, Nick's Pizza Shop, we need to keep this in mind because it, I'll argue this is actually more in line with your, your overall argument. That Nick's Pizza Shop, if it paid for Nick's daughter to go to MIT, damn it, it succeeded. It succeeded. So, I think, so, so statistically, there is a difference about the, the, the precursor to that innovation, right? So you have areas in the United States, and I think this, this I'm going to agree with you in a way, just in a slightly roundabout way, believe it or not. It's going to be... <laughs> It's going to be weird. We're going to get all metaphysical right now. The real roles are reversed. So, so there are areas in the United States that are economically disadvantaged. And most of the startups, however you define that term, happen because people don't have access to good paying jobs. So they make them for themselves. Right. These are more risk averse types of businesses. Well, we might call them a small business. Certainly uh, rather than a startup. Result, not most. I have no, no right, right, right. I'm just saying, but it's more prevalent in those areas. And then in areas like Cambridge, San Francisco, New York, the startups that you see are much higher risk. And they're not being started because people need a job. They're being started because people want to take a risk or they want to disrupt something or whatever buzzword you want to use. So, but there is definitely different, different trends of different types of companies now being started. And some traditional investors like yourself would think are investable. Uh, because they can scale or any of the other words you use yeah. to describe them. And some are not investable because you call them lifestyle businesses or you put Nick's daughter through college and that's the intent. And I get it. The challenge is that this has led to a massive uh, division in what is innovation. So if I say startup or if I say innovation, people automatically think of high tech or maybe they think of biotech. They don't think of, they don't think of religious innovation. They don't think of real estate. They don't think of service innovation like food service or restauranting or anything. That's because all of all of us, you know, you know, elite northerners uh, from San Francisco, Boston, New York and other hotspots, we don't think that way because that doesn't represent our mode of thinking. We invest all of the investment goes into high tech. It goes into biotech. Right. So those are the companies that blow up. Those are the companies that make it. If you look statistically at what is the number one predictor of the success of a company is how much money it raises. And this seems to be in a completely counterintuitive point, but the more money it's able to raise from investors, the more likely it is to be successful. Well, successful and that's not an accident because investors like investing in those startups and they consider the other types of startups uninvestable. To be clear, it's success measured on the standard of the unicorn. Um, I suspect that if you talk to um, who was the Beatle, I'm going to do this by way of analogy, but the Beatles wasn't on, was an enterprise. What was the name of the uh, drummer who got kicked out? Pete Best. Pete Best would argue that was not a successful business because he was a founder who got his butt kicked and replaced by uh, Ringo, Ringo. Starr. Um, and that was not a success. We can argue. So number one, I, my point is that measures of success. Yeah, but, but hold, on, hold on. But we're we're talking about finances. I mean, yes, happiness is a measure of success. Or it's a huge measure. Lifelong fulfill. Yes, but we're we're not talking about that. You're you're, but, you're redefining but, what we're talking about. We're talking yeah, about we're, money. We're talking about revenues and investability. But you're one. You're the one who walked in here with a view. Founders that, don't start companies to be happy. Founders start companies to make money. That's the measure of success. That's, it seems to me I've run into a number of founders, and maybe you've run into more, but over the years, I've been practicing a long time. I've run into a lot of people who started companies who will tell you early on, and I get to see them quite early on, who really like this damn idea and really want to see it succeed. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a great thing to love what you do. 
well, nobody's doing it to be broke for the rest of their life. They want to no, make money. Not. That's why companies are. Companies are money-making enterprises. Yeah, definition. and also to you, to Mike's point, the inducing failure sometimes is uh, you know uh, a sympathetic thing to do. Let's put this thing out of its misery. Right. You know, That's if, true. if you're if you're if you're the oh, founder and you're piss poor for five years, and you know just uh, one more quarter, one more year, one more round, one more one more sales call. Sometimes it is a, 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 you know, to put the thing down is 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 an act of, uh, uh, you know, uh, what's the right word? Uh, it, mercy. It's a good thing. Uh, act of mercy. So, Mike, where were you going? Because I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I'm going to try to figure out. I guess uh, my quick point was, I think measures of success need to be. We need to keep in mind that measures of success in a business are uh, cover many many scales. If we focus solely on unicorny type. High tech by, by unicorn type, you mean revenue? Is that what you mean by unicorn? If you measure that, 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 that value, yes, a financial metric it defines yeah. the health of a business. That's the definition That's the KPI of KPI you're, 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 yes. you're, we're talking about. That but is the universal KPI. I think you would have a hard time saying that you can quantify happiness somehow. If we're talking about the 1% or the half percent of all the businesses that are started that are investable, invested in, so that they get going on the on the moving sidewalk that is the unicorn sidewalk. Then I think a lot of what you're talking what you're talking about is true. I was going to guess you were going to go somewhere else with your equity cloud found funding, which is that it makes available to a range of businesses from Nick's Pizza to Twitter. It makes money available. It yeah. may not make available to them um, uh, a wealth of or at least a few investors who have a vested interest. Who aren't seeing like like wanting to see them fail, but who may want to help move them along both as a as out of generosity because they have money in it. And I don't know if equity equity crowdfunding does that, but it sounds to me that it is a democratizing force and it has a, a place in the overall ecosystem as well. It has a place in in the small shoe company. It has a place in P, uh, Nick's Pizza. It probably doesn't have a place in I'm assuming Twitter nor Facebook nor the others. So, yeah, I mean, it has a place. I, I disagree with you about the latter part of your statement. I agree with the first part. Yes, Nick's Pizza, if if an investor who also, by the way, has the same, it's their angel investors, just on a smaller scale, and they have the same motivation, they want to make a return. Uh, yeah. If that investor believes that the future of that business will make them a return, whether it's Nick's Pizza or an app, they will invest. That's the investment decision uh, the investor goes through. That's universal, whether you're an angel or a VC or a small crowd investor, doesn't matter. If you think it's going to make you money, that's the reason you invest. Um, you're not, it's not a donation thing. Um, the latter part of what you said that it's probably that equity crowdfunding is not for Twitter. I'll, I'm going to use a very topical thing here. So right now we're in the middle of the coronavirus, right? COVID. Um, there really isn't any more venture capital right now. So let me qualify this a little bit. And for your one listener, just to put this into perspective, if this podcast is listened to a year from now when we're living in a post-apocalyptic world, eating feral cats or whatever the case might be, and there's Vegan an old record cats. of this podcast. Oh, wait a minute. Don, John, Donald John, John, uh, Trump Jr. is the vice president. Yes, in that world. That sounds awful. Oh. So yes. So let's say that's very post-apocalyptic. And um, you know what? I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day, and I, I am positive that there's a number of like A-list actors right now gaining weight to play Trump in a in a biography movie. <laughs> That's my like excuse. right now. Like I just expect Christian Bale to come out weighing 400 pounds. Like I'm gonna be the next Trump. 
Anyway. No, it's Alec Baldwin. He's got Alec Baldwin is oh <laughs> god, yeah. On it. Oh, that would I'm so waiting forward to like the flurry of movies that are kind of come. I still hope we have a society that's left, you know, to yeah, watch yeah. those movies, but But anyway, so so that aside, I forgot where I was going Keep on that tangent. You were uh, going to um oh, shit. You were going to wrap up because it's been 90 minutes. It's been 90 minutes. So, Mike, say something interesting that will – and what interesting would be a discount code on your book. But other than that, um, wrap it up for us. I don't know what we've talked about, but you've got as good a guess as anybody. About, well, about, we've been, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, funding sources for startups. So I'm just, I'm just going to say – Equity crowdfunding. Uh, equity, equity crowdfunding is the Name future of finance. Name and your- my book is called um, The Evergreen Startup, The Entrepreneur's Playbook for Everything from Venture Capital to Equity Crowdfunding, available on Amazon.com. And as a spoiler, I don't know if you picked it up from my general demeanor, it's not very flattering of venture capital. Angel, uh, or angel investors or angel investors. Eventually. Well, no, like I said, I don't have an angel problems with angel investors. The challenge is with the groups. Uh, as soon as people get together in groups, they make very, very bad decisions, which end okay. up hurting innovation. Okay. But yeah, no, look, individual angels and investors, that's fine. Yeah. I, well, okay. there's actually a lot of study on this. There's a lot okay. of research on experts getting so, together. Yeah. Two questions. One question is, uh, I assume I'll see you here at CIC someday. Yes. Well, if it's still around again, it's, it's, I don't know. Donald Trump is the, uh, the, the facilities manager. That's a Tim Rowe question. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of the CIC, as you know. I've been at the part of the CIC for, I mean, I've ran three companies out of the CIC for over, you know, about, almost 10 years at this point. So huge fan of the CIC, huge fan of co-working and sharing resources and things like that. And I'm rooting for the CIC. I love the organization and co-working in general is a movement. You're just not a huge fan of COVID-19. Well, I was I was gonna say something smart sounding about COVID nineteen. Oh, I remember. You got five more minutes. I got another yeah. sub rant I want to do. Sub yeah. sub rant. All right, I'll keep it short. You just you just triggered it. You triggered my sub rant. All right. So you you you're talking about how venture capital is a better fit for some companies like Twitter. All right. Yeah. So this is the fact. So in the first quarter of this year, which is the latest data available, uh, venture capital volume in the United States fell by about twenty two percent. Yeah. Right now. Industry stats. I'm not, you know, it's not controversial. It's just a statistic. Yeah, now, yeah. if if you look at when the coronavirus actually hit, it hit in the last two weeks of the first quarter. Yeah. So venture capital volume fell 22% in two weeks, not in the first quarter. Everything was going swimmingly for the first, yeah. you know, 80% of that first quarter, and then off a cliff, died. Now, economies that got hit by the coronavirus stuff before us, like China, venture capital volume fell by over 50% yeah. in the first quarter, right? So we're going to look, we're going to wait for the next quarter numbers to come out, but they're going to be dismal. Yeah. Now, this, this is a, there's a lot of reasons for this. There's a lot of reasons for this. Um, there's a lot of funding rounds that ended up being stalled. And venture capitalists and angels, by the way, have a lot of what they call dry powder in the industry, right? They have cash right. on hand, but they're waiting to invest it. And this is uh, not like the dry powder in Mark's head. <laughs> well, I think that's that's damp powder. I think this is, industry <laughs> term is a little different. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. I, I had to. Those are set I up. have no. I have uh, set up. Keep I'm, going. I'm, I'm keep physically going. And, and psychologically drained from this. <laughs> <laughs> so what you? So yeah. So subred. So all these investors, all the VC. Um, overnight stopped whatever plans they had about follow-on capital, as in putting more money into the companies they had already invested in. 
uh, money that those companies depend on, right? Um, and they're sitting on stockpiles of cash, not large stockpiles of cash, because by the way, the LPs, the investors in the venture capital funds are also dropping out like crazy right now. It, they're we're, losing we're money. Getting ready for the night of the living dead. Yeah. Right, exactly. So the VC industry is really on the sidelines. They're not investing yeah. right now. So all the companies, it doesn't matter how innovative, how mainstream they are, yeah. there's no other place for them to raise money. Yeah. They're going to equity crowdfunding. And equity crowdfunding right now is showing record at, at volumes. As far as by far the best quarter ever, the best week ever. And on the same note, all those investors, if they want to invest in a startup, they're not going to invest through a fund or an angel group. They're going to invest directly into the startup. They're skipping the middleman now. Is that the end of your rant, your mini rant? Well, I mean, it can be. I can keep going. I can I go, keep going indefinitely. One yeah. last question. What's the name of your book? It's called The Evergreen Startup, The Entrepreneur's Playbook for everything from equity, from venture capital to equity crowdfunding. David trying Amazon. to get back in your good graces. Look at that. Look, he's got a button he can press on me to make me stop saying whatever I was saying and plug the book. So he just knows how to shut me up at this point, which is impressive. Okay. So thank you very much. This is actually probably the, not only maybe that's the best book today. in the last two days. Oh, well, that's that's really flattering. That's that's good. To, that's you really know you really know how to flatter a man. <laughs>